Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the R Weekly Highlights Podcast and episode 48. My name is Eric, and today we are covering the issue highlights for week 29, released on July 19th, 2021. This week's issue is curated by Jonathan Carroll, with help from the R Weekly team members and contributors. The situation seemed insurmountable. I was approaching a tight deadline to incorporate a very important feature in a soon-to-be production Shiny application that integrates with an internal high-performance computing cluster, something no one had done before, and I only tried brief prototypes in the past. But when I simply lifted that exploratory code into my main code base, along with other enhancements I gleaned from the R community, I stumbled into many errors. Some were clear in their location and the functions that were affected, and others would show extremely vague and frankly cryptic messages. How was I going to get out of this? Chances are, you have encountered a similar plight if you've been developing a multi-step analysis, complex package, or maybe even a shiny application that blends a bunch of these components together. If so, you'll greatly benefit from the practical recommendations to illuminate what can be a lonely and mysterious journey from our first highlight today. Research software engineer and former R Weekly curator Ma'el Salmon has authored a very accessible guide outlining how you can equip yourself with practical techniques to become a better R code detective with an excellent blend of available functionality in R and selected packages like Reprex, as well as putting a spotlight on previous conference talks and blog posts covering effective debugging practices and code development. The ideal situation is at least investing in code that is already documented effectively and separated into digestible components. But I will admit, that I rarely have that luxury if I'm performing code reviews for other colleagues and to be perfectly candid with all of you, even many of my past projects. The remaining steps address many tangible ideas, such as utilizing Git for version control and taking advantage of branching to explore the code base and to give you a safety net to start over again if needed, as well as customizing R's behavior to print out a tidier stack trace when encountering errors. Plus, the recommendations to explore the community's code examples via searching on GitHub to learn how others approach an issue, as I've greatly benefited from seeing how participants in the recent Shiny contests have approached various technical challenges in their applications. So never lose sight of taking advantage of their community offerings to help your code development. Ma'el concludes the post with her recommended navigation of the abundant resources mentioned throughout. And believe me, I wish I'd had this available in my early days of learning R, which at this point was a long time ago. But to close the loop on my initial story earlier, yes, I did eventually solve that bug, and boy, was it difficult but I cannot express how fulfilling it is when you're able to take these detective skills and put them to great use, even if during that situation, it looks like it's just never gonna happen. But perseverance and a lot of the techniques that Mal outlines in this great blog post 
will help you solve what can be very difficult challenges. In many of the analytical and communication workflows made possible by R, there comes a point where a little extra polish can make a huge difference in how the key outputs or reports are received by the intended audience. In some cases, it may even be required by an organization to adhere to certain style guidelines for text and visualizations. One of the most common properties we tweak in this part of the workflow is the font used in visualizations, reports, and even websites. Historically, customizing fonts in R, especially in graphics devices, has not always been a smooth endeavor, especially with the variation in how the different operating systems handle font installations. Back in February this year, our studio software engineer Thomas Lynn Peterson announced the groundbreaking updates to a collection of packages consisting of RAG, system fonts, and text shaping for a much easier user experience in bringing customized fonts to graphic devices in an R session and beyond. With this innovative tooling in place, second year PhD student Jun Cho whose previous post on demystifying stat layers in ggplot2 was featured way back in episode 8 of this podcast, has authored a clear guide on his blog for using these updated packages to incorporate and debug custom fonts in many R workflows. Once you set up various key options to utilize the RAG package for producing graphics, June gives a great breakdown on the different types of font files which I have not found discussed in many typical font tutorials. As long as you can get these fonts installed on your computing device, you should be off to the races to utilize them in your visualizations and reports. But sometimes you have to put on that detective hat like we covered previously and embark on solving what can be a bewildering mystery of why the font you chose is just not appearing. June proceeds down quite a rabbit hole with getting a particular font awesome icon to appear in a ggplot. And through solving that issue, he shows some powerful techniques to interact with the system fonts package to ensure the desired font and style are registered in the R session so the lower level plotting subfunctions are fully aware that it exists. In fact, the development version of June's affectionately named June Bug Package wraps this workaround in a friendly function called Font Hoist. The post concludes with diving into advanced font features, such as lining characters up to use the same height and baseline, creating and using font ordinals, and a terrific roundup of use cases and other tutorials and videos covering this expansive frontier. The high quality of this walkthrough makes this post feel like it is straight out of a professional design book focused on R. But the fact that June has made this freely available is another testament to the values and openness of the R community. I've learned so much just by putting together this summary, and I definitely look forward to using these in my daily work in the future. Rounding out our highlights for today, I touched on the importance of clean design of code in summarizing my L's post earlier in this episode, 
and one of the ways you, as a function or package author, can help the user experience is to write clear messages when something does not perform as expected. Within R, the built-in function called stop can be used to terminate a function's execution with a mandatory message supplied by you. But what happens if you want to add more customization to this message and output shown to the user? That's exactly what Elio Campitelli, graduate researcher in atmospheric sciences at Conicet, has addressed in his latest blog post for our last highlight of today. Like anything in R, there is great flexibility in how certain functions, and in particular inputs of functions, can be manipulated. Suppose you want to transform the error message itself with another function, much like Elio's example of capitalizing every letter of the message with the toUpper function inside a customized version of the stop function. However, this translation results in not showing what the actual function call was, which in this case was a customized square root function, when displaying the error message in the console. But there is always a workaround, and in the remainder of this post, Elio de demonstrates how sys.call has the ability to capture not just the immediate function executed, but also any wrapper function if there was any nesting in the execution. That solves obtaining the proper function call. But the other nugget I had not known about before reading this post is using the simple error function to create a proper error object that the stop function can fully support as an input to the message parameter. With those in place, the console produces the ideal message with the proper function that resulted in the error. I'm jotting this down as another potential development enhancement as I begin to author more R packages and functions inside them. And those are your R Weekly highlights for today. Issue 29 is filled with many high quality resources, such as producing polished summary tables using the GT summary package, a call from the R Consortium Diversity and Inclusion Project for speaker nominations, a clever use of the GH package to clean up forked GitHub repos, and much more. One thing I've hoped I've conveyed a lot in the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as this one, is just how much I personally learn from everybody in the R community and being able to summarize and share these great resources with you. I cannot tell you how many times I saw at least one trick or one issue that I could solve in my actual work projects, thanks to a lot of the advice and recommendations that are seen in these resources. So from my standpoint, being a, a curator on this team has been one of the best decisions I've made, and we are always looking for others to join us on this fun journey. If so, you can find complete details linked at the top of every issue for how you can get involved with the ArtWiki project. And also, I always welcome your feedback on how I put together this very podcast and I'm even approaching a very cool milestone coming up for next week. And it'd be great to be able to hear from all of you on what I can do better and what you're liking about this show. The best way to reach me would probably be on my Twitter account. My handle is at the Rcast. 
And you can always drop me an email as well with drcast at gmail.com if you prefer that way. Have a fantastic week, and we will be back with another batch of our weekly highlights next week.